All right, so this morning we're going to continue on with uh, in First Samuel, and we're going to be covering chapters 11 and 12. And I've titled today's message, How Leaders Lead. Now previously we had, uh, we'd seen how Saul had been selected by God and anointed by Samuel to be the first king of Israel. However, as we saw at the end of chapter 10, there were still some who questioned whether he was capable enough to lead the people. They didn't think that he can save them, to save the nation. Well, in these two chapters we'll be covering today, this is essentially what we'll be seeing. We're going to be seeing Saul's leadership and kingship confirmed after a successful military campaign. And in chapter 12, we're going to be seeing uh, Samuel's final speech, his final public address to the nation of Israel, where he reaffirms the importance of obeying God. So essentially what we're going to be seeing here is, in these two chapters, is a a transition of power, a, a passing of the baton, a passing of the torch from Samuel to Saul, from prophet to king. And we're going to see with, the, with those two men, those two examples that we have, we're going to see how leaders lead. One who was coming up, one who was going to be stepping up as a new leader, and one who was going to be stepping down. And so I hope that after today's message, that you see the importance of being led by God in order to lead effectively. So before we get into First Samuel chapter 11, let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us this morning. Lord God, thank you uh, that you've brought us here this morning on this beautiful Sunday morning. May your word just be deeply implanted into our hearts, into our minds. May we hear the message that you have specifically for each and every one of us, Lord. So again, may we hear from you this morning. May we glorify you with this time, and we love you and we adore you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. First Samuel chapter 11. And the word of God says, Nahash, the Ammonite, came up and laid siege to Jabesh Gilead. All the men of Jabesh said to him, Make a treaty with us, and we will serve you. Nahash, the Ammonite, replied, I will make one with you on this condition, that I gouge out everyone's right eye and humiliate all Israel. Don't do anything to us. For seven days, the elders of Jabesh said to him, And let us send messengers throughout the territory of Israel. If no one saves us, we will surrender to you. When the messengers came to Gibeah, Saul's hometown, and told the terms to the people, all wept aloud. Just then, Saul was coming in from the field behind his oxen. What's the matter with the people? Why are they weeping? Saul inquired. And they repeated to him the words of the men from Jabesh. 
Then Saul heard these words. When Saul heard these words, the Spirit of God suddenly came powerfully on him, and his anger burned furiously. He took a team of oxen, cut them in pieces, and sent them throughout the territory of Israel by messengers who said, This is what will be done to the ox of anyone who doesn't march behind Saul and Samuel. As a result, the terror of the Lord fell on the people, and they went out united. Saul counted them at Bezek. There were 300,000 Israelites and 30,000 men from Judah. He told the messengers who had come, tell, tell this to the men of Jabesh Gilead. Deliverance will be yours tomorrow by the time the sun is hot. So the messengers told the men of Jabesh and they rejoiced. Then the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, tomorrow we will come out and you can do whatever you want to us. The next day, Saul organized the troops into three divisions. During the morning watch, they invaded the Ammonite camp and slaughtered them until the heat of the day. There were survivors, but they were so scattered that no, no two of them were left together. Afterward, the people said to Samuel, Who said that Saul should not reign over us? Give us those, give us those men so we can kill them. But Saul ordered, no one will be executed this day, for today the Lord has provided deliverance in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal, so we can renew the kingship there. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there in the Lord's presence they made Saul king. There they sacrificed fellowship offerings in the Lord's presence, and Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. So chapter 11 here, this chapter we just read, can easily be divided into three dramatic sequences, each one revolving around the theme of deliverance. The first sequence begins in verse 3, where the problem concerns deliverance. Now, the initial problem of this story is the aggressive military policy of the Ammonites. Now, Genesis 19 tells us that the Ammonites descended from Benami, Lot's son, whom he fathered by his own daughter. Now, Jabesh Gilead was a city located on the east side of the Jordan River about 20 to 25 miles south of the Sea of Galilee. And then to its southeast was an area controlled by the Ammonites. Well, in order to increase its size of its territory, the leader there, Nahash, decided to surround the helpless Israelite city to its north with an overwhelming military force with the intent of just ransacking them, taking them, killing everyone, and taking all their possessions. So upon seeing that they didn't have a chance, or didn't have a fighting chance against the Ammonites, the men of Jabesh said that they'd agree to surrender if a treaty could be worked out. Nahash, however, replied that he'd be willing to give them a, a peace treaty uh, on one condition. 
And he said this, that I gouge out everyone's right eye and humiliate all Israel. So not only did he, not only did he want to incapacitate the fighting men of Jabesh, but he also wanted to shame and embarrass the entire nation of Israel. Now, we can see in this account a similarity between Satan, our spiritual enemy, and Nahash, the enemy of Israel. Let me just point out a few examples. Just like Nahash, Satan may attack you, but cannot do anything against you or without your agreement. If you're a Christian, he can't do any of that. For him to do that, he asks for and requires your surrender. Number two, just like Nahash, Satan wants you to serve him and will try to intimidate you and to give it into him. Number three, Satan wants to humiliate you. Like, like Nahash, Satan wants to humiliate you and exalt himself over you. Through humiliate, through, you see, through humiliating one saint, through humiliating you as a Christian, he wants to bring reproach. He wants to embarrass all of God's people. Number four, just like Nahash, Satan wants to take away your ability to effectively fight against him. Number five, okay. Just like Nahash, Satan wants to blind you. And if he can't blind you completely, he will blind you partially. Now, there's one more thing that I wanted to mention about this, and that's the name of Nahash means serpent or snake. And if we remember the story in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3, the serpent told Eve, did God really say? Well, he will try, the devil will try to do the same with you. He will try to make you doubt God's word. Well, moving on now. When the elders of Jabesh asked for a week to see if anyone would save him, the Ammonites surprisingly allowed them to. Now, it's unknown whether this was done for strategic purposes or to just to prove that they could defeat anybody that would come and help out Jabesh. But either way, this decision to allow them to send messengers throughout the territory of Israel ended up just being a really, really dumb mistake. When the messengers came to Saul's hometown of Gibeah, everyone there wept aloud. Now I'm sure messen the messengers must have appreciated the wails and tears for the men of Jabesh, but what they really wanted were men that would fight alongside of them. So let me tell you this, Christian. Whenever a brother or sister, whenever you know of a brother or sister 
when they're they're in a situation where they're being severely attacked by the enemy there's more that you can do than just tell them that you feel for them see rather than saying that you will pray for them one of the ways that you can fight alongside of them is by praying with them in that moment and it's important you to to everyone too if if there is a situation where you are being attacked you know it's a spiritual attack and it's grieving you it's it's really bothering you mentally spiritually emotionally that you grab a brother or sister that you give them a call a call a text and let them know hey you know what man devil's really attacking me right now can you just pray with me if you're that christian that gets that call or that text let them know hey, let me pray with you right now brother let me pray for you right now sister Let's defeat, let's ask the Lord together to help us defeat the enemy. So for the time being, no immediate help was being offered. And so the problem concerning deliverance still remained. That is until Saul came in from working the field with his oxen. And he inquired about the, the commotion. What was all the commotion about? And then he was told about the Ammonite threat against Jabesh. Now here Saul was wise in going back to the farm. See, he knew it was the Lord's job to raise up as to raise him up as king over the nation. And he knew that the Lord would do it in the right way in the right time he didn't have to promote himself or scheme on his own behalf he knew that the Lord would do it and the same applies with you in whatever ministry position God has you in whether it's something simple as cleaning or doing the youth doing the children leading a men's Bible study and not just in this church, wherever church you may be at, you don't have to promote yourself. You don't have to make a name for yourself. If God has a plan for you to raise you up in that church, in a position of, of leadership, he will make that known. He will, he, will make, he will work out all the circumstances in order for that to happen. But don't force it. Be humble. If you're called to, you know, to clean the church, clean the bathrooms, clean the toilets. Hey, do it all for the glory of God. And just do it for Him. Don't do it for anyone else. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up in honor. What we see next in verses 5 to 11 is a second sequence of the story where we see Paul or Saul intervening to effect deliverance. This begins to happen after Saul learns about the threat against the men of Jabesh. In verse 6, it says that the Spirit of God suddenly came powerfully on him, and his anger burned furiously. Well, this empowerment, this, you know, the Spirit coming on him powerfully causes Saul to act. 
So he takes a team of oxen, which were typically two. He cut them into pieces and sent all those little pieces out throughout all of Israel. Oh, and then he sends a message along with that, saying that if anyone doesn't march behind Saul and Samuel, well, they can expect the same thing to happen to their oxen. As a result, the Lord made, listen again, the Lord made the people afraid of Saul's anger. And all of them went out, united as one. Some have said that Saul's actions were too extreme. But what they can't say is that it wasn't effective. So why did Saul have to resort to desperate and heavy measure to secure allies against an established military authority? Well, even though God's Spirit had ignited his passion for his people and his rage against the Ammonites, his authority hadn't yet been established. He was a relatively new king, an unknown king with no powerful allies, political influence, or military experience. So gathering a large force to lead into battle was going to be an uphill battle. There were going to be issues and problems with that. So he had to convince them. He had to show them in a powerful and shocking way that he was for real and that this was a serious matter. However, here's the thing. Even though it was Saul who acted It was none other than God himself who filled the people with terror. So after assembling a force of 330,000 men from Israel and Judah at Bezek, Saul sent messengers to the men of Jabesh Gilead that they'd be delivered the next day. Overjoyed with the news, they then then sent a misleading message to Nahash that they planned on surrendering that next day. Well, before sunrise the next day, Saul and his troops invaded the Ammonite camp and absolutely slaughtered them until the heat of the day. And that would be considered the middle of the day around noonish. And we must keep in mind that Saul succeeded because he was empowered by the Spirit of God who both used Saul's natural gifts and gave him the wisdom and the strength that he needed. Being at the head of an inexperienced army of 330,000 men wouldn't be an easy task that God gave the victory. So know this, ladies and gentlemen. The will, the will of God will never lead us where the grace of God can't keep us and use us. Let me repeat that once more. The will of God will never lead us where the grace of God can't keep us 
and use us. So with the power of God, Saul was able to effect deliverance for the men of Jabesh. In light of this victory, there's now a public demand to kill those who had questioned Saul's ability to lead. And it's at this point that we see the last sequence of this story and where we see Saul concluding that the Lord has provided deliverance. The fact that the Lord had given them victory was enough for him. So he wisely decides against putting any more of his people to death. This is one of those rare circumstances where Saul is seen as a faithful instrument of Yahweh's will to deliver. Saul was also wise enough to know that there was no time to take revenge, that this was no time to take revenge on his opponents. Satan, having failed in the attack, in the attack through Nahash, now tried to attack Israel, even in victory. But by any but he he even tried well he tried to divide the nation through the Ammonite attack. But even in victory, he was trying to divide the nation against each other. Similarly, the devil will attack us. He will attack you any way he can. And sometimes he will even use victory to attack you. Samuel then called or convened another assembly at Gilgal so the people can renew the kingship there. The verb renew implies that the people had departed from the Lord and needed to be restored. Thus, renewing the kingdom was actually a recommitment to the Lord himself and the acceptance of Saul as his chosen king. Afterwards, they sacrificed fellowship offerings in the Lord's presence. Saul and the entire assembly rejoiced greatly. With no opposition this time, Saul was now at the peak of his ministry as king. This chapter records Saul's inward and outward battles. The outward victory was obvious, but inwardly Saul defeated the strong and subtle temptations to pride, insecurity, and revenge. But he must continue to fight and win those inward battles. And he could only do so as he was filled with the Spirit of the Lord and walking in the Spirit under, leader, under the leadership of the King of Kings over Israel. Now, throughout the Bible, there are many examples of people who at times were moved by God to accomplish his purposes. Now, not all are messianic type kings, but the implications are the same. When God's servants attempt to minister and serve in their own strength or in their own timing, the results are mixed at best. But when they are open to the prodding and inspiration of God, the results are uniformly effective. For example, 
when Moses struck the Egyptian taskmaster and killed him. I believe that he was attempting to achieve naturally the mission God had for him and for which God had prepared him from the beginning. Unlike any other person alive, Moses was prepared to lead God's people out of Egypt and bring them into the promised land. He was being groomed from the beginning to function as Israel's savior. But then he killed that Egyptian taskmaster and hid in the sand. The next day he tried to intervene in a fight between two Hebrew workers. This too ended in failure. Though again, Moses was attempting a good work. One that no doubt would fit his calling and preparation. As a, des as a desperate f failure, he fled to Midian and tried to escape by changing everything about his life. He ran from the calling God had placed in his life. And as you all know, life for Moses after God met him in the burning bush was much different. From that point, he functioned as God's messenger, accomplished God's task in God's time, timing. Similar problems arose for Jacob and his life in Haran with Laban as uh, prior to his encounter with the angel, with the angel of God in Jabbok. And you can read about that story in Genesis chapter 32. And a similar pattern is evident in the life of the Messiah. However, it's not exactly the same because he never attempted to serve in his own strength and he never failed. Rather, he dared not begin his ministry until he was confident that he was working in the right time, in the right manner. Once he was baptized by John and the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove, Jesus immediately went to the desert to challenge Satan and then began his ministry by calling his disciples. Well, of course, you and I were not Jesus. And there are many differences here, but the same, but this, the simple but the simple spiritual truth is apparent even in his life and ministry. Effective leadership and ministry, even in effective living, requires the help, the help of God, which he graciously bestows through his Holy Spirit on those who are sensitive and patient. If Jesus was to open the was open to the Holy Spirit and patient for God's timing and anointing. Certainly today's Christians, certainly you need the same openness and patience. So the simple truth of 1 Samuel chapter 11 is that as a Christian, you need to be completely dependent on him for his resources and strength. And he will miraculously multiply skills and talents in order to use them for his own purposes. 
the rest of Saul's narrative will unfortunately illustrate what happens when those who are prepared and called by God decide that they no longer need to serve under the inspiration of God. Well, now that Israel has accepted Saul as king, Samuel has to withdraw as the old leader. But first he wants to set the record straight and point out that under his leadership, Israel had just an effective administration without any undue demands being made to restrict their personal liberty. So let's pick up in chapter 12 and see how Samuel was just another great example of how leaders lead. 1 Samuel chapter 12. Then Samuel said to all Israel, I have carefully listened to everything you said to me and placed a king over you. Now you can see that the king is leading you. As for me, I'm old and gray, and my sons are here with you. I have led you from my youth until now. Here I am, bring charges against me before the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox or donkey have I taken? Whom have I wronged or mistreated? From whom have I accepted a bribe to overlook something? Uh, from whom have I accepted a bribe to overlook something? I will return it to you. You haven't wronged us. You haven't mistreated us. And you haven't taken anything from, uh, from anyone, they responded. He said to them, the Lord is a witness against you. And his anointed is a witness today that you have, haven't found anything in my hand. He is a witness, they said. Then Samuel said to the people, The Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and who brought your ancestors from the land of Egypt is a witness. Now present yourselves so that I, so that I may confront you before the Lord about all the righteous acts he has done for you and your ancestors. When Jacob went to Egypt, your ancestors cried out to the Lord, and he sent them Moses and Aaron, who led your ancestors out of Egypt, and settled them in his place, in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God. So he handed them over to Sisera, commander of the army of Azor, to the Philistines and to the king of Moab. These enemies fought against them. Then they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned, for we have abandoned the Lord and worshipped the Baals and the Ashtoreths. Now rescue us from the power of our enemies, and we will serve you. So the Lord sent Jerubbabel, Barak, Jephthah, and Samuel. He rescued, you, he rescued you from the power of the enemies around you, and you lived securely. But when you saw Nahash, king of the Ammonites, was coming against you you said to me no we must have a king we must have a king reign over us even though the lord your god is your king now here is your king you've chosen the one you've requested look this is the king the lord has placed over you if you fear the lord worship and obey him and if you don't rebel against the lord's command then both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. However, if you disobey the Lord and rebel against his command, the Lord's hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors. 
Now, therefore, present yourselves and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Isn't the wheat harvest today? I will call on the Lord and he will send thunder and rain so that you will recognize what an immense evil you have committed in the Lord's sight by requesting a king for yourselves. Samuel called on the Lord and on that day the Lord sent thunder and rain. As a result, the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. They pleaded with Samuel, pray to the Lord your God for your servants so that so we won't die. For we have added to all our sins the evil of requesting a king for ourselves. Samuel replied, don't be afraid. Even though you have committed all this evil, don't turn away from following the Lord. Instead, worship the Lord with all your heart. Don't turn away to follow worthless things that can't profit or rescue you. They are worthless. The Lord will not abandon his people because of his great name and because he has determined to make you his own people. As for me, I vow that I will not sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. I will teach you the good and right way. Above all, fear the Lord and worship him faithfully with all your heart. Consider the, the great things he has done for you. However, if you continue to do what is evil, both you and your king will be swept away. What we have in this chapter is Samuel's final public address to the nation. Verses 1 through 5 is the first part of his message and is, and is a testimony of Samuel's integrity. Samuel began, began his message to Israel by saying, in essence, I have given you what you asked for, a king. He had complied with their demand for a king who from now on will be leading them just as he had done since his youth. It is true that Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life, but now that king was raised up. His role would change and diminish. There would now be a transition of power Samuel never officially stepped down from leading Israel as judge, but didn't, they also didn't allow his shadow to eclipse Saul. Now perhaps he knew Saul would have enough trouble of his own, and Samuel didn't want to be accused of subverting Saul's reign as king. In this, Samuel showed himself a truly godly man. He was willing to pass from the scene when God brought up another leader. Samuel didn't grasp onto a position when God wanted to change it. Again, perfect example of how leaders lead. When God wanted to change the leadership, when it was that time, he said, fine. God has another role for me. I know he's going to continue to use me. But as far as leadership is concerned, he has chosen someone else to lead. I have always said to the leaders here, to many people here, that if 
the Lord is using me here as a temporary basis. And he's raising someone up to one day lead this church. And that's okay. This isn't my church. This isn't, you know, this isn't, you know, even though I planted it and, and all that, this is the Lord's church. And if one day the Lord calls me to step down and he brings somebody up, and again, I want to be a good leader and say, okay, Lord, I trust you. I know what you're doing. And I know and I believe that God is, was, would have raised that person up to to take this church to, to the next level. I don't know. I'm just assuming there. That's just a guess. You know, it could have me here for the next 20, 30 years. But either way, you know, a, a good leader, a good godly leader, that is led by the Lord, empowered by the Holy Spirit, will be okay with stepping down and allowing someone else to step in if that's what the Lord has called. So, Again, if you're in, in a ministry uh, leadership position, don't hold on to that position. Don't hold on to it. It's going to be it's just going to be tougher, and you, eventually, you're not going to be able to to thwart God's will. One way or another, He's going to put that person there, and either you're going to allow Him, and either you're going to go out kicking and screaming, or you're just going to go out rejoicing in the Lord saying, yeah, Lord, I trust you. Well, Samuel then asked those who questioned his integrity and leadership style to bring charges against him if they had ever observed any moral flaws in his life. Well, no one could because they all knew that he was a man of character and that he was a man of integrity. By doing this, Samuel intended to show that just as he could be trusted in the past, so his word for the present and future can also be accepted with confidence. Well, now that his credibility was reestablished, he then launches into his second part of his message by giving them a history lesson to remind them of God's central role in making them the people that they are. Samuel first noted that the Lord, not humans, had appointed Moses and Aaron to bring their ancestors out of Egypt. This was an implied rebuke because the people, humans, had chosen Saul to lead them instead of looking to the Lord in faith. Then in verse Samuel, verse, verse 7, Samuel challenges them to present themselves before the Lord in order to confront them, confront them before the Lord about all the righteous acts he had done for them and their ancestors. He begins by first giving them a concise Recounting of Jacob going down to Egypt, the exodus, and the conquest of the land. And then from verses 9 through 11, he summarizes the four-part cycle of, of the book of Judges 
up to the time of Samuel. And that four-part cycle was this, sin, suffering, supplication, and salvation. He then recited some of the judges, including himself, whom God had used to bring salvation to make this point. God faithfully defended his people whenever they followed him fully. Next, Samuel pointed out at the pointed out the Ammonite menace, menace had prompted them to request a human king, a request to which the Lord had graciously granted. By demanding a king, they were committing a great sin. But if they would worship and obey the Lord, even now He would bless them and their king. However, if they disobey the Lord and rebel against his command, they would, appear, they would experience his wrath. And then to bring this all home, Samuel challenged Israel for the second time to present themselves and see this great thing that the Lord will do before their eyes. Samuel then prayed for a great thunderstorm so that they'd realize their wickedness in asking for a king and to cause them to revere God. Well, sure enough, that day the Lord sent thunder and rain. And as a result, all the people feared the Lord and Samuel. This was thunder and lightning and rain from God himself. He wanted to show them a powerful sign, an even more powerful sign than Saul had sent throughout the land of Israel. He wanted to show them that he was for real and that he was serious, that what they did in requesting a king without consulting, without coming to him and asking for a king, was evil. Well, verses 19 through 25 is the final part of Samuel's message and tells us what Israel's reaction was and how he responded to it. So in their fear, they turned to Samuel and basically begged the prophet to pray that God might forgive their hastiness in seeking a king. They knew at that moment when they saw that rain and thunder and felt it in their bones that they had messed up royally. They had messed up really bad. Samuel then expressed the words that the Lord said so many times to his people, don't be afraid. Rather than ignoring their sin, he told them the way forward in verse 20. Even though you have committed all this evil, don't turn away from following the Lord. Instead, worship the Lord with all your heart. He assured the people that the Lord was committed to them for his own glory. And then he vowed not to sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for them. 
although the leadership of the nation was being given to Saul, Samuel still had a role to teach the people the good and right way. And Samuel concludes his message with a challenge and a warning. And the challenge was this, above all, fear the Lord and worship him him faithfully with all your heart. Consider the great things he has done for you. All your service, all your obedience, all your love for God should be put in this context. As Christians, we do it because of the great things he has done for us. We don't serve God so that we would persuade him to do things for us. He has done the great things and asks us to receive them by faith. Then we serve him because of the great things he has done for us. We can only keep uh, perspective in our Christian lives if we if we keep focused on what great things he has done for us, what great things he has done for you. If we lose, or if you lose that perspective, everything starts to become distorted. Many people tend to magnify their problems and lose sight of what great things he has done for you. You're only paying attention to the sinking ship, but you don't see that the Lord has provided life rafts and that there's a way out. You're only looking at the problems around you, but you don't see that he is the solution, that he has offered you a solution deep in your heart. You may, it may not be the solution you want, but it is his solution. And whether you follow it, whether you do it, that's up to you. And the warning was this. However, if you continue to do what is evil, both you and your king will be swept away. Much as trash is swept into a pile and then swept away from the floor, so Israel and her king will be swept away with God's judgment. In this chapter alone, there's so many images of Christ. There's so many things we we can see about Christ and his leadership and things that he wants us to know. I'm going to be doing communion here in in a bed, and I don't want to take up too much time in, in explaining each and every single one, but let me show you just a few examples of how leaders lead. The leader will step down when God brings somebody up. And a good example of that is John the Baptist. When he saw Jesus coming towards him, he knew that was the man. He said, Son of God, there goes the Son of God takes away the sin of the world. Sandals, I cannot fail. He knew it was him. He knew he was the Messiah. He knew that now it was time for him to step back into the shadows and allow Jesus to, to step in. 
Samuel warned them of the past and to learn from it. And Jesus did the same thing. He warned the Pharisees, the religious leaders, of the many times that their ancestors had killed the prophets, had done things against the Lord, had sinned against the Lord, and how they didn't repent. And so he asks now us, he asks you now to learn, learn from your past. Learn from the mistakes you made and remember what the Lord has done for you. And then lastly, again, many lessons here, but Samuel, Samuel here shows us that leaders lead by challenging their people of their sins. One of the things I hope that I never stop doing here is to do that, to challenge you, to never sugarcoat sin, to call it for what it is. If I know or I'm aware of some sin in your life, I'm not going to ignore it. I mean, I will take you aside and talk to you privately and let you know, hey, you know what, this is a sin, and if you don't turn away from it and repent, it's going to cost you dearly, and it's going to cost others dearly. Me not challenging you, me not doing that, I'm, I'm not leading. I'm not being a good leader. I'm not taking this role, responsibility as a pastor and leader of this church serious. And I, and I hope that every leader of this church will do the same. Not just with others, but also with me. That if they see and know a sin in my life or maybe that I'm teetering, playing with fire, they will call me out and let me know, hey, careful, playing with fire. We need to hold each other accountable. We need to challenge each other. But again, right now, the Lord is wants to challenge you wants to challenge you in asking you, are you ready to repent of your sins? Are you ready to come to the cross and ask for forgiveness, receive that forgiveness, and be born again? Jesus delivered you. The problem of deliverance was your sin. Jesus affected deliverance by dying on the cross for you. Then the resolution that he rose from the grave three days later is now sitting at the right hand of God. And because of that, you now can have everlasting life. So if you're ready to be delivered, I want to lead you in a prayer to do that. So I want you to Close your eyes and bow your head. And with all sincerity, with all your heart, I want you to pray this. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, and I ask for your forgiveness. 
I believe that you died on the you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I now turn from my sins. I repent of my sins and confess you as my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. Now fill me with the Holy Spirit so that he may help guide me in my newborn again life. In your name, amen. Let us know that you prayed that prayer and that this message blessed you as well. Go ahead and leave us a comment on whatever social media site you're watching us at and, and share this message if anybody, if you know anybody needs to hear it. Thank you so much and we'll see you next week. God bless you. Thank you so much for visiting us here at Fresh Vision Church. We hope that Pastor Angel's message blessed you this morning. We want to encourage you to spread the gospel by sharing this message through social media. If you want more information about Fresh Vision Church, such as our service time, how to get connected, or you want to hear current or past studies, please visit our website at fvcelp.org. If you're interested in donating to the ministry of Fresh Vision Church, there is a PayPal link in the video description below. Once again, thank you so much for visiting us here at Fresh Vision Church. We pray that you have a blessed week, and we hope to see you again soon.